Hello, Nick. Hello, Rue. Hello, you're right. Yeah, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I've got um, I've got a sleeping wife upstairs, a sleeping baby next to me, uh, a glass of water and a glass of whiskey. I'm about as happy as I've been for a, quite a long time, actually. Excellent. How's life at your end? It's been a quietish week this week. We're in that sort of pre-arrival mode where, you know, we've still got a week and a half, but I think she's getting to the point where she'll be, well, I think we're all keen for it to something to happen. Yeah, 29th of January is not very far away now. Not at all. So, um, And last time you were late, or not late, but, you know, he, he didn't arrive on the due date. He, was, uh, he had to be induced. Yeah. Is there any um, evidence that that is a recurring thing, that in a su- subsequent pregnancy the same thing will, will happen? I've heard all sorts of different things, to the extent that I just sort of, whenever someone says, oh, that means the next one will be late, or oh, that means the next one will be early, I just sort of politely nod and... Yeah, right. don't, don't get into that debate because, I mean, our midwife is brilliant and she, she always plays the game of whenever she visits and does the whole listen to the heartbeat, she's very good at listening to the heartbeat and saying, oh, that's a girl or, oh, that's a boy. But <laughs> but she's very good at alternating it every time and I, I suspect it's one of those things she she just has the fun of, um, in part, winding the parents up. She must know that you, you don't know the sex of your baby. Correct. She may have looked at our scan photos and spotted things we mm. haven't looked at. So I guess we should talk about that, because you guys, you did want to find out the sex of your baby very early on, didn't yes. you? Yes. Yes, we did. As soon as we could find out, we were in the mood to know. Um, and you, you were the opposite. You've kept it a, a secret from yourselves all the way through, haven't you? Yes. No, we felt, because we did the same with Toby, it was a surprise till he was born. Mm. So the second time round, I mean, Joe made that point that you want to have some sort of surprise still. So as we went in to get do that, 20-week scan where we could choose to find out the sex we elected not to but it's difficult because they do the scan and you know you're looking at your baby in much greater detail and your eyes wander and you you (laughs) you you look everywhere and you think well I don't want to know but can I see things that I think I can see or can't I see things or or what as part of the scan obviously they're measuring head and bones and amniotic fluid and you know they're, they're checking up on a whole bunch of different stats and, and tracking mm. them is one of the things they check the sex of the baby i don't know to be honest maybe they only check if you ask i think they're, they're so skilled at it where they can just look at that that the noise on the screen mm-hmm. and they say to you oh look there's a kidney <laughs> i don't know if it's one of those are they looking for something to determine it's a boy and the absence of that something for the girl that's what I've read, that it's two different shapes. Yeah. And one of them is hot dog-like and one of them is hamburger-like. Right. That's the signs that they're looking for, the shape of a hamburger versus the shape of a hot okay. dog. Okay, yeah. interesting. Because that's the thing, I, again, not wanting to fool myself into thinking I know based on this one photo or these few photos we've got, whilst I'm fascinated by it, I'll go and read up about it in a month's time when I won't ruin any surprise. Right, yeah. Spoiler, spoiler alert. <laughs> Well, our photo was very obvious. It was um, it, it was almost graphic in in its detail with uh, right. little little penis and testicles, and yeah, you you couldn't have confused it for anything else. Interesting. Well, I I have my gut feeling for what it will be, but I'm fully ready for to be proved wrong, and it yeah, it is what it is. Do you want to say what that gut feeling is, or are you keeping uh, keeping quiet? I'm 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 keeping quiet just for it isn't a a hope for one or the other. It's a I have a suspicion it is, and right. who knows if it's going to be that or something else. 
I suppose the nice thing about having a baby is that both options are quite good, really. Oh, absolutely. They're both fun. Yes, they're, they're both different and it's um, a whole different sets of experiences. And even there's the practicalities when they are babies. There's that unique experience which I don't imagine you would get with a girl. That that time you're bathing them and you're, you know, you're bathing your child and you're staring into their eyes as you wash them and they pee straight into your ear. <laughs> See, I, I, I'm, physiologically, I don't think that's an experience you can get with a girl. Unless you're holding them in a very particular way. Yeah, yes. But, uh, um, you know, I'll, I'll never forget that moment. It was a, Ooh, Nick. a, a proud moment as a father. Yeah, well, I haven't quite got to that stage yet. He's uh, peed on himself a few times, and especially once the nappy comes off, that seems to be a bit of a trigger for emptying his bladder. Mm. Uh, and at the moment, that, yeah, that tends to be sort of up his chest. But, um, yeah, I haven't, haven't had any spray into my ear yet. I'm rather looking forward to that now. <laughs> I thought that I'd be a bit freaked out by just sort of dealing with nappies, but it's just so sort of cute and lovely. <laughs> it's not a... Uh, yeah. It's one of those things you're glad that they prepare you for if you do the, if you do any sort of classes before birth is the different shades that the poo goes through in the first few weeks. <laughs> I remember seeing someone did a chart of the Pantone colours. <laughs> nice. That you could sort of chart your, your child's progress through the different stages of bowel movement. Oh, wow. Um, well, if you can find that link, that might be a good one to link to. That's, uh, that sounds awesome. So we talked about um, classes beforehand, before the birth, and how they prepare you. Because um, you did the NCT, the National Childbirth Trust, yes. classes, didn't you? Yes, we did. And um, I can't remember how many there were now. Was it six or seven classes over a few weeks? Uh, yeah, I found, them, I found them helpful for preparing myself and sort of getting into the mindset of all the things I was going to need to be ready for. Um, including, you know, pain relief options and what happens when the baby's up in the middle of the night screaming. And yeah, it was, I, I found it to be quite a good grounding actually in the things of parenthood. Was that your experience with it as well? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was. Obviously the midwife sort of gave us all the different bits of information, the, the NHS classes you can go to or the, the NCT ones. For us, I'm glad we did the NCT ones. It does cost more. It costs compared to the NHS ones. Um, but Certainly, I think the experience we've had is um, it's, it's a really good grounding for the pair of you for what you're going to be facing. And I think they do a really good job of you know, getting you through understanding what's going to happen. And as, as you said, all the different options. Yeah. And then I think for, for Jo, you know, it is still a group of six or seven really good friends. And have they stayed in touch? Absolutely. I mean, they still meet up most weeks, maybe not as a whole group. Well, every week um that that's slightly rarer these days but um yeah no i think definitely made you know friends some friends for life that's in that really group yeah. which is really good because it, it's it's a group of people going through the same thing you are at the same time as you are i must admit that the social aspect of it was the reason that we opted to go down the nct route rather than the nhs one um we had a few friends who suggested that it was a good way of making friends and and having yeah, sort of people who were in the same situation as you and that for a lot of people, staying in touch was the norm. Mm. Um, I had one, one friend at work who described it as paying for middle-class friends, <laughs> which st stuck with me a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I, I suppose if you're less cynical about it and think, well, these are, these are people who are, as you said, like in, in the same 
situation you know they're, they're having a baby within the same few weeks as you um yeah and they live they live relatively close i guess part of what you're paying for with the nct ones is just more time to cover everything and in much smaller groups as well so it's yeah it's, i must say it didn't feel rushed at all and it felt like we had lots of chances to ask questions and yeah you described it as being something that was especially good for joe have you found that that you've been um, sort of friends with your NCT class as well, or is it mainly her that's stayed in touch? We've all been friendly, but I think it, it's the mums who have maintained that relationship. And when the dads meet up, it's we go along with the mums to something where everyone's at, if you see what I mean. But is it, um, it's the mums who are organising stuff, like they're they're the ones yeah. who are emailing each other and sorting things out. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they've got their own little Facebook group that they right. chat all the time. Um, right. And and particularly, you know, when. You know, three or four of them are up at 4 a.m. trying to feed. You know, they're chatting on Facebook and supporting each other at, mm. you know, in real time. I mean, for us, the, the dads have met up once or twice for a curry in the first year. For us, it's clearly worked really well for the mums. Yeah, every single one is still part of that circle. So, Nick, talking about antenatal stuff, um, with a week and a half to go now, you must have your bag packed, right? Yeah. Joe's got her backpack. Oh, okay. What's in Joe's bag? It's things like a pillow, taking your own pillow from home. Oh, yeah, we did that. That made a big difference. Yeah. Especially after a couple of couple of nights in hospital, just having, yeah, Rachel having her own pillow suddenly felt, felt a bit more human. Yeah, just little comforts like that. Um, we did actually realise tonight we've not got any snacks in there, so tomorrow we'll be off to get some cereal bars and Haribo. Nice. Um, yeah, things like that. Um, Lucasade. There's some bottles of Lucasade in there. Um, so yes, the so the bag. You know, it's got. Um, oh, it's just got you know, the overnight things for a few for a couple of days. It's got uh, wash bag and you know with all the sort of the holiday sized toothpastes and shampoos and things like that. Oh yeah, toiletries. Yes, that's yeah. that's quite important actually. You don't have to you know, pack your wash bag when you're in labour trying to get to the hospital. So you know. It's all, all sat there just waiting. We've had our first contributions in, Nick. Excellent. What have we got? Well, people have been in touch, um, inspired by our uh, glorious first episode, our first foray into, into the world of uh, podcasting for dads. Dads have been in touch, uh, and people have been sending us their, their tips and their suggestions and their, their funny thoughts about, about parenthood. Um, so we'll start including them in, uh, in the forthcoming episodes. First one, massive, massive thank you to Giles Turnbull, who wanted to share this tip. I have a story from when our son was a very small baby. Um, there was a day when he was crying and crying and crying and um, nothing we could do could quiet him down. Um, we tried all the normal stuff. We tried changing a nappy, no, still crying. We tried changing clothes, still crying. Uh, we tried asleep, still crying. We tried feeding, still crying. We tried everything we could think of. We even tried putting on some Bob Marley and dancing around the living room, holding him, because that was something, believe it or not, that uh, quite often worked. But no, even the Bob Marley didn't work. So we were at a loss to know what was wrong, and the baby was still crying. And then somebody happened to walk out of the room and absentmindedly switched off the light as they uh, left through the door. And straight away, the baby stopped crying. And that was it. The problem was the light all along. And that was something we would never have guessed in a million years. If you've got any tips that you want to share with us, then do get in touch. You can reach us at Beardy Dads on Twitter. 
or drop us an email at podcast at biddydads.co.uk. If you want to record yourself, send us an MP3 and you can be in the show. Yeah, please do. Giles's was, was nice and brief and to the point there, but you know, you could give yourself two or three minutes um, and drop us an MP3 at podcast at beardydads.co.uk um, and we'd love to have you talking about your experiences of, of um, parenthood or uh, a tip that you might have for us, anything that, you, that you'd like to share with the world, we'd, um, we'd love to hear it. So yeah, please, please do get in touch. So Rue, what, what firsts have you had this week? Um, what first? I suppose this week um, I had my first day back at work after being on paternity leave for a couple of weeks. Oh, no. Yeah, it was a bit of a kick in the teeth, I must say. It was nice. It was nice to go back and see everyone and lovely to, you know, be so sort of warmly congratulated by everybody. And, yeah, everyone's so excited about, about new kids. But um, it was very difficult, I must say. It was difficult leaving the family home um, and, and going back to the harsh, cold realities of noisy... <laughs> Ang- ang- antagonizing yeah. um real life i i remember that first day back at work and i remember at the end of the day thinking i'm gonna go home and see my son <laughs> it's that's brilliant isn't it yeah. yeah the journey home was very um very much full of hope um also looking forward to going to have some more sleep that was uh, what i remember very strongly about the train journey on the way home was thinking <laughs> oh not that long i can go home i can help rachel i can you know maybe maybe change his nappy and um uh, and do some do some cleaning up, and then I can go to sleep for two hours. That would be nice, because <laughs> I'd sort of got into that that routine of of sleeping um, all the time. You know, sleeping yep. um, whenever he was uh, sleeping, and and it's a change of change of rhythm, really. Presumably, by now you're sleeping in what I would think of as a normal routine. Like you, you might oh, have absolutely. the odd early morning, but you know, you've, you've got well past that really broken sleep. Yeah. Are you um are you nervous about getting getting back into that or did you find it particularly uh particularly stressful the first time around? I don't think necessarily stressful. I think again because you you're just dealing with it. Um I think what's going to be interesting this time is having uh Toby uh who isn't so going to be so um flexible. <laughs> you know, he he's going to want his sleep and when, oh, yeah. he, when he wakes up, he's going to want to come in, burst into our room and play. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how that works. Now, you know, if anyone's got any tips for how you can smooth that over, I'd love to hear them. Because he is quite um, inquisitive and he's definitely going to want... He's definitely going to be interested, isn't he? Yeah, I think there was a brilliant moment when he and Oliver sort of met for the first time this week. <laughs> that was, was lovely. It was lovely. Oliver was fast asleep, and Toby was sort of gently stroking his face, but then sort of started sort of poking his eyes, like "Open your eyes," so like, <laughs> just, just ever so lovingly gentle. prodding him in the face. It yeah. was great. It was very yeah, sweet. That was, good. that was a nice first. Have you had any other firsts this week? Well, I guess following on from from the earlier discussion around nappies, we're we are very much at that point where we're trying to um, put nappies behind us with Toby, and he is at the point where. Um, he goes through the day fine, um, you know, occasionally has a little accident, but, you know, we're, we're dealing with that. And we tried last night for the first time him not wearing a nappy overnight. Oh, wow. Um, How did that go? Well, we, we thought it was going to go well. All the signs were good. He um, you know, went to the toilet and did, did everything he needed to do um, just before bed. So, And, in fact, before we went to bed, we got him up and sat him on the potty and, you know, sort of did a wee with him half asleep. Unfortunately, it didn't 
all go to plan and uh, he sort of, he came in at six this morning upset because he had had an accident but you know that's it's certainly at that point where you've just got to start trying it if, you know if, if um, when it gets to that point where his nappy is dry every morning then you know that's the right time but hmm. um, so you're not setting yourself up for failure no it's not going to be instantly frustrated because there's a pretty good chance that he'll get through it so yeah yeah, yeah. that's that makes and sense it was i say as a first it was a first try and i think he's not quite ready for it yet no doubt um we'll be trying again oh hi there this is twin dad sorry i was just playing guitar then which is something i find myself doing a lot a fair bit around the house you see, the guitar and the playing of the guitar has become something of a bit of a territorial thing. Um, there are many spaces since I became a dad and twin dad to six-year-old twin daughters that I've seeded over the time since we had the babies. And sitting around playing the guitar to the point where me shredding Radiohead tracks starts to annoy people is, is one way of trying to win back some of those territories that we previously had. You see, the first thing that happens when you become a dad is a lot of those spaces where those things that you enjoy doing happen tend to disappear. The first thing that happened to me was the lovely room with my bass amp in it that served me so well on my putative and rather useless indie career. Um, disappeared and became a nursery, and the bass amp went on eBay and I cried for a week. Slowly, the amount of space that I had in the house starts to decrease and decrease to the point where basically I have the toilet. And let's be honest, that's not a room anyone wants to end up in for any length of time. So now that the girls are six and now that you get that little bit of space back into your life, I've found that playing guitar right where it's most annoying is an incredible tactic to try and win some of that lost territorial space back. Playing guitar and indeed shredding Radiohead songs is a guaranteed way to make sure that your wife and your six-year-old twin daughters leave the room. And I find that it's a very effective tactic. Now, at this point, many of you will be thinking, but hang on, there is one clear territorial space that remains the dads, that is that space where you can do the things that are otherwise denied you in the contested territories. And that is, of course, the shed, the den, or whatever else you want to call it. Don't believe this. This is absolute bullshit. That is, there is some kind of space that we end up owning and that we feel that we have as our own domain. The shed is basically like giving the American Indians some space to go and run casinos. The space itself is useless. It's cold. It's only got about five millimetres of wood between you and the outside elements. And also it's got lots of spiders in it. But, you know, they do allow you to do what the hell you want there. And before you know it, like the American Indians, you're drunk, you're fat, and you've lost most of your money to someone who's better at poker than you are. So don't feel that the shed is the only space that you can have. And also don't feel that protecting the shed is in any way some kind of territory that will allow you to have a strategy that takes back some of those other spaces that you have seeded in the house. Hunkering down in the shed, making it your own personal space, is kind of like playing risk, believing that if you hole up in Kanchatka and just get new armies each time it comes to your turn, eventually you'll have the strength to enable you to take over the whole of the Russian stems and come back through Asia to take Europe. It's never going to happen. That's allows a strategy that no one's ever won risk on. And equally, ceding control of the rest of the house and going back into the shed and believing that at some point you're going to break out of that and claim the rest of the house is just not going to happen. The only way you're going to break out and claim the rest of the house is when you tidy it up when you sell it when your kids have gone 
So accept that now the house is no longer yours. Accept that there are very few spaces that you can have. But do start to pick up as the kids grow old a hobby that really annoys everybody. And playing guitar is a great one. I'd also recommend the trombone. But something that you can do in front of your family that starts to reclaim your space again. Remember, ultimately, you're a territorial animal. You may have proven that to the external world by somehow procreating and creating a kid of your own and therefore you no longer need to be the top dog in the outside world. But internally, you still need to feel like you own these spaces. So come on, let's develop some kind of territorial behaviour, some kind of territorial hobby that allows you to reclaim the spaces within your house, whether it's a musical instrument, whether it's just very loudly farting whenever you're around your family, but something that makes you feel like you're in that space and you inhabit it. This is Twin Dad, and remember, everything you've done, I've done in stereo. I'm actually quite enjoying the nappy-changing process. I don't think he is very much. I think he, once you get his um, baby grow off, um, or at least you know get his legs out of it, he's probably feeling sort of exposed and naked and cold, uh, and it makes him a little bit a little bit grumbly. Mm. And he doesn't always scream, but he definitely definitely doesn't seem to enjoy the process of being changed. Right. So I, I enjoy it, and I I talk to him and sing to him and you know try and sort of calm him down. But yeah, he's. He's pretty miffed. <laughs> as soon as you start unpopping those poppers, he's uh, he's not happy about it. So here's a question for when you when you change him, you um, you know, so you, you wipe down and clean up. Bit of a do wipe. Do you dry? Do you dry before you put another nappy on? Oh yes, yeah. Because I wouldn't want if I'd if I'd um, dirtied myself and somebody sort of sopped me down with some wet cotton wool. <laughs> I wouldn't want to get into some fresh fresh stuff while I was still damp and soggy so yeah I, I make a point of drying him off nicely using a nice dry cotton wool pad um, drying him off and then maybe if he's if he's sitting on top of a flannel which he often yeah. will be on the changing mat then I'll, I'll sort of you know pat him down gently with that and maybe even blow some you know warm breath on him to get him nice <laughs> and dry and kissable yeah is that your approach as well well I, I was kind of asking because I can't remember how we how we used to do it and my brother had a baby last summer at Christmas they were changing him and they they have this scheme that they've got two sets of muzzies, you know, the muslin cloths. They've oh, got the, the most useful thing in the world. Yes, well, I'm, I'm sure we will talk for hours as to the many varied uses of muzzies. But um, they have this simple rule that the plain white ones are for day-to-day use. And any patterned ones they got, they call the bum rags. The, the what rags? The bum rags, because they are the muzzies they use to dry after nappy change and you don't want to you know, mix those no, up you don't want to be wiping down a mouth with a bum rag I mean they asked us did you do this and I couldn't remember doing it I know, I'm, I'm sure we never would have put Toby in a clean nappy dripping wet obviously <laughs> I don't remember toweling him down each time but okay serious talk now now we're into nappy territory okay have you ever experienced the thing that I'm hoping I'm not totally alone in this where after a dirty nappy, um, the skin sticks to the nappy. Is that a thing that happens to other people, or is Oliver producing particularly um, sticky bowel movements? Some makes of nappy tended to do that more than others, and I don't know if that was um, some feature of the the waistband of the nappy. I was wondering if it was to do with the sort of absorbent material inside. It seems like yeah. on these ones, maybe when they get wet, they they excrete some stickiness yeah i'm wondering about changing brands just to see if it if it carries on yeah now i have to say it did get some feedback on the last episode about some of the graphic language we used and i think 
I know one or two colleagues will be will be cringing at all this talk of nappies and <laughs> nappies and poo, nappies and poo. But it's it's you know it's the reality of it. You just get on with it. Yeah, that first day you have to change your first nappy. Of course, it's the perfectly natural thing to do. You just get on with it, and then you you don't look back, really, do you? It's much less gross than I thought it would be, and it's also much yeah. less smelly than I imagined it would be. I, I think that will change once he gets onto solids. Yeah, yeah, that changes. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought so. Yeah, but I mean, all he's eating is milk. I suppose he's drinking it, but yeah, all he's consuming is is breast milk, and it's it's not unpleasant. It's a little bit unpleasant. It's a little bit unpleasant, but I think you just you just get used to it, and you get very proficient at doing the almost one-handed nappy change and white browned and uh, sorting it out i am equating it to the scenes in a film where where people are training for the marines where they're sort of stripping their rifles changing a nappy and cleaning and stripping a gun mm. in, in my head are weirdly interlinked I'm, I'm not entirely sure why but yeah getting better at it getting faster at it um there's yeah. a certain satisfaction in that isn't there sort of knowing that yeah you're a bit awkward the first few times but but yeah you know, yes. I'm, I'm pretty confident with it now i don't think i'm I'm likely to hurt him, and I think I'm likely to be able to do it in a smooth and efficient business-like way, which means that he's going to be less distressed because then it's, it's quicker and he's not being yep. faffed around so much. Is there, there is a satisfaction yeah. to that. And the number of times that you start changing him, you've stripped him down, you've lifted up his legs, and there's all that, you know, all the mess to deal with, and you realise you've left the wipes up on the side and they're out of reach. Or, or that you haven't changed the little water pot and that it's freezing cold water. Um, yeah. And oh, and then you feel guilty, but but at that stage, I'm not going to certainly not going to leave him there. But I'm really not going to pick him up in that state and carry him to the bathroom to get some fresh water. So there have been occasions where he's had to cope with having a bit of a cold, cold splash. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So talking about feedback from last week. Last week we talked about something where you weren't entirely sure about it, Nick. And I wonder whether whether anything has come back to you since. But um, you you proposed that. A sort of cesarean section might be one where the yeah. baby is allowed to crawl out and find its own way into the world. Is this, is this something you've, well, you've imagined or is, was this a real thing after all? So I think, slightly in my defence, I think the, the, uh, the discussion of it turned into a bit more of an exaggeration to than what I was thinking. I think Were you employing hyperbole um, when we were talking about it, maybe? I, I, and I, I think there was hyperbole and I think there was some, um, some artistic licence used in some of your your uh, reflection of it but <laughs> i i've i'm slightly worried as to where where this has come from in my own head now right um i think i'm fairly convinced i've probably conflated different things but um yeah i no amount of searching has online has revealed any hint of this being quite what i was thinking of um but suddenly, one of the things it could have been partially conflated with is the whole um, uh, the the breast crawl thing. Um, if, if you search on YouTube, in fact, if you look in the discussion on episode one and the comments on the blog, um, uh, Meg's uh, provided a nice link to a YouTube video demonstrating it, where they do take um, a baby, a just-born baby, and place it on the mother's chest and the baby will um instinctively search out the 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 mum's breast for for food um you know even in the case of a cesarean when the baby is just 
plucked out and plucked out rather than crawled out. Um, but then has yeah. has this amazing sort of natural ability to to find the nipple and yeah. to even I yeah. mean even to crawl a little bit to to get to the right place, which is something you wouldn't expect yeah. that a, I mean, a brand new baby. Crawl's not to quite do. the right term for it, but yeah, they sort of almost sort of worm their way. They yeah wriggle they over over the period of maybe, maybe the best part of an hour. I mean, that is a thing. They're, they're, that's a a real thing. I think what what I was half remembering last week, I don't know quite what I've conflated to to come up with that. Well, we'll we'll let you off. It was a funny image, but not much uh, not much medical backing for it as as a procedure that people should be nervous about happening to them or their wives. So. Yeah. We'll draw a line under that. Yeah, yeah. Let's do so. Busy dad. So that's it uh, for this week on Beardy Dads. Thank you for joining us. I um, hope you'll uh, join us again this time next week. As we said earlier, if you if you want to get involved, if you've got thoughts or ideas, or you've been shouting at us during this and you want to set us right, that's quite likely. Um, yep. Please do get in touch. The email address again is podcast at beardydads.co.uk, and we're at Beardy Dads on Twitter. So if you've got tales of antenatal classes or even uh, birth stories going back to last week, then let us know. What's coming up next week, Nick? So next week, a um, couple of things we want to talk about: uh, baby monitors. How do you keep an eye on your, your cherished one when they're sleeping? I mean, there's such a range out there. So if anyone's got any tips for what they've used and how they get on with them. Uh, and the other one was uh, sharing news. Once you go into labour, how much do you tell the family at the time? Or how, how much... Yeah, how quickly do you uh, get in touch with the in-laws? Yeah. Um, or do you live tweet it? Do you live, do you live blog your, uh, yeah. your, your pregnancy? Yeah, so send us your reckons on all of those and... Uh, We'll talk about them next week. Nick, I look forward to uh, seeing you this time next week. Until then, Rue. Good night. Good night. Good night.